Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombus, we've always said our socks, underwear, and t shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombus. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. Hello, I'm Derek Draper. And I'm Eloa, and we're here to talk about Chapter 6 today of Create Space, which is Space to Relate. As with other episodes, I will begin by reading the lesson, and then Derek, you're going to share the story of, um, who is it today? Amir. Amir, right, okay. So the lesson is, however many strengths you have, you must create the space to build rich relationships to be truly successful. And I think yeah. Amir's story really um, explains this. So Yeah. So... This is my favourite story. It's the longest story, but I think there's a lot in it. Uh, and Amir, um, in the story, is a uh, very high-powered lawyer. Now, now as ever, he, 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 it's changed the reality of who who this person actually was, and he's a sort of combination of several people. Um, but but the psychological essence was was the guy in the book, right? Um, and he expected he was going to be made the managing partner of his big city law firm, and there was a problem, and the problem was basically everybody respected him, everybody thought he was brilliant at his job, everyone was slightly scared of him, which was sort of okay in that environment, but crucially, hardly anyone liked him, Mm. right? And it's also the only story, I think, where there's... uh, very bad swear words, because that's how he communicated. So I had to kind of reflect that, right? Or the guy who it was based on communicated. Um, And um, it's all about how Amir was let down in his early life around relationships and authority figures, um, his mum and his dad in a way, right? Um, And that he therefore had a sort of, you know, you might not like me uh, and you're going to let me down. Uh, I can't trust you, so, so I'll put the wall up first, right? Um, and, of course, you know, you especially in a big city law firm or a bank or somewhere, you, you can get away with that for quite a while if you're a rainmaker, as they put it, if you bring the money in. But if you want to be the actual leader of that organisation, that's when people say, well, hang on, we, we, we know he's brilliant at doing what he does but we don't really want him to be our leader, right? And so he was sent to me by um, the current managing partner to see if I could work with him and change this. And there was quite a radical change, and that, that reflects the real-life the real, the real life story, right? There was quite a radical change, um, all revolving around uh, a woman who I think is called Norma and, and some photos of her dogs, hence the title. So yeah, and 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 the and the lesson is exactly what you just read out, right? It, it's that he had to start to build 
relationships with people at work. And in his defense, he had a few good friends who he was really close to. He had, uh, you know, he's actually very close to his wife and his family. You know, he carved out uh, this little space where he could be loving. Uh, but boy, was he not being that to work, right? Um, I mean, clients got showered with attention sometimes and very charming. Uh, and, um, you know, he had, a, he had a little crew at work, mainly men, many boys, but I say boys, you know, young men who sort of admired him. Um, but that's not enough, right? He, he, and even they didn't really want him to be the leader, it turned out, right? They're, they're, you know, so um, I was very reminded of a fantastic line in the program Billions, we actually have a, a blog about billions, billions on our CDP website, which people can check out, cdp.consulting, um, uh, because in a way, some of what we do as leadership psychologists is, is what Wendy Rose does in Billions, right? And there's a fantastic line where Axe, the main character, who people don't know it, is a kind of uh, you know, really successful head fund billionaire in New York says to his wife, the only people that matter to him are his wife and his two kids and everyone else is cannon fodder, is the phrase he uses. And when I saw that on telly one night, I thought, well, that's Amir. That's exactly what Amir thought, mm. you know. And it, it really comes down to Amir's way of relating to the world. And as you talk about a lot, how that kind of connects back and stemmed from his early experiences. When he worked with him, there were two key tools that you used. Um, the first one was the stakeholder mapping, mm -hmm, and the second mm -hmm. was the professional intimacy model. Can right, you talk us through right. them? Yeah. So people probably uh, – what I find about stakeholder mapping is people have heard of it, and most people have done it if you're mm. a kind of executive in a big business. Um, but when I say done it, it means they kind of you know saw it on a PowerPoint slide and were asked to think about it for 10 minutes. I I've rarely met anyone who's actually done it. And yet it's a very simple and incredibly powerful thing. Um, so I won't go into great detail here, right? We might do another episode maybe on stakeholder mapping in the future. Um, but essentially, it's that idea that you get a piece of paper, you put you in the middle, and then you think, well, who are the people that I should have a good relationship with in order to function well at work, right? And when people initially do that when I'm with them, they... It, it, they will put the sort of first circle of people and, and then I ask for two things on a slightly deeper level. One is, well, what out of naught to 10 do you want your relationship be, to be? Should your relationship be with those people, right? So, you know, the receptionist or the security guard that comes in at night, right, you, you don't necessarily have to have a 10 out of 10 relationship with, but, you know, it could be a four out of five, a four or five out of 10. Um, your boss, you kind of should have a good relationship with, you know, your peers, right? But then I asked them to look at an outer circle of people that they hadn't thought of, right? And to maybe anticipate something. Classic example is, is you know, some people who are in business, running business units might not have that much to do with financial control until the end of the year, right? Now, I've worked with people who will make sure they've taken the financial controller out to, for a cup of coffee at the beginning of the year when no one's interested in them and become a sort of friend, right? Um, and uh, boy, does it help them at the end of the year when the guy's like knocking on the door saying, what's this, what's that, right? They have this working relationship. And one of the things that uh, came up with Amir, and which I think is, is very important for people who are less relational and maybe a bit introverted, right? Which I am actually, despite being able to sit here and, you know, do this, 
um, which is that introverted people um, tend to think that the relationships are a bottomless pit, right? That, that's what Amir thought because he had that actually early on in his life, right? Um, they're not. And it's amazing how much you can do with a cup of coffee, right? Or a two-minute chat in the car park, right? You know, it, it's not that you're then going to have to have lunch with this person every day, right? Um, and, and you can set boundaries, which is something we'll talk maybe talk about uh, later, you know. Um, so really important to kind of uh, track your stakeholders in a methodical way, right? Because otherwise you'll forget, right? Forget, you know, and somebody suddenly will loom into horizon, one of your peers who you've kind of not really made any effort with for months, and, and, and you need at that moment a good relationship. So what's your relationship what 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 do you want the relationship relationship to be? Not to ten. Where is it now? And then a plan for moving it up. And the point I'm trying to make is that the plan needn't be twenty lunches, right, or five dinners. It could be a, a, a cup of coffee. I think it's being tuned in to those opportunities and just recognizing that there is a chance to say hello to the personal reception when you're coming in the morning yeah. or a chance just to have a quick conversation yeah. with somebody in a lift. Yeah. You don't have to do that thing of standing in silence. Uh, and it's taking those little moments and building relationship and building allies. That's the word that when you talked about a kind of Absolutely. working relationship, right. I was thinking of the word allies. That's right. What about um, the professional intimacy model that you developed? Oh, yeah. So, so well, in fact, just before we go on to that, uh, mm. you, you've triggered a... a, a Store, a memory of a story which is, which is in the book, right? Where, well, two things actually. So I used to work for a company called YSC, which is a sort of global leadership consultancy. And the main thing they do, which, which we also do at CDP, is half day assessments to see whether people are suitable for certain jobs or not, right? Um, but Gernick and Gernick Baines and Ken Rowe, who founded that company, used to. Um, hide behind reception there's like a mirror right a, 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 a mirrored window and they'd watch the person come in right and ken used to say now he was kind of joking right but he also had a point which was that if you watch the person for five minutes in the waiting room you could write the assessment mm. right now they, they never did right mm. but but it gave them valuable information about the person right and you have to be careful because if you're really nervous you might not say hello Right uh, to the receptionist, but actually normally you do, right? But but it, but that tells you that someone's nervous. So uh, it's all data that they were gathering, you know. And even gathering data about how somebody functions when they're nervous is interesting because there Absolutely. might be a development area in there. Yeah, that's right. Um, you that's know, right. how do you function under anxiety or under stress or yeah. in those kind of situations? Yeah. Because at the high, at more senior levels of leadership, you're going to be nervous. You're going to be doing right. things that's that are right. out of your comfort that, zone. That's right. And so yes. you need to really be. That's right in charge of how you operate rather yeah. than at the mercy of it. Yeah, that's right. And, and then, what and was then, the other, other well, story? Well, the other story was that, that at YSC, the, there was kind of four floors, and each floor was similar. It had a kind of central area where there was certain PAs and a bit of a breakout area. And then consulting rooms all around the edges, there's a bit like sort of uh, uh, eight rooms that by, by definition had to be kind of soundproof because it was, it was very private, personal work. And the two rooms at either end of the the the, the square, if you like, were, were really big, right, and had, like, better furniture and more windows. And I used to often get those rooms, right? And people said, well, why, why is Derek getting those rooms all the time, right? Now, the answer was that every time I went on a business trip, I would get a little trinket for the receptionist, right? 
and I got a, a little carved elephant when I went to Kenya once. I went to Saudi Arabia and got one of the this kind of multicolored little perfume bottle, a, a key ring, right? It, it, it cost like two two euros or something, right? Um, but it just meant that I was thinking of her. And when, when I came back, I had this little gift, which she then looked at, anticipated and looked forward to. So lo and behold, when she had to allocate the rooms, right, I would get the nicest rooms. Well, there you go. <laughs> <laughs> I like that story for lots of reasons. And one of them is that it's, again, it's about the little things. Yeah. It's just those small acts of consideration. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, and, you know, she'd also, she'd booked the flight, she'd booked the yeah. hotel, right? Yeah. So, so actually, the, the, that experience going smoothly, right, me not being stranded in the middle of Riyadh, right, without, without a car, that was really valuable mm. to me. So it's sort of a way of saying thank you as well for mm. making sure that, that that bit of my life went better than it might have. It reminds me of that thing that I've heard uh, Richard, or attributed to Richard Branson, which is that, he will know the name of everyone in the office. Mm. He just takes the time to get mm. to know the people who work for him. I don't know how true that is because obviously mm. he's running a business, multiple mm. businesses of thousands of people, but mm. there's something in that idea that you actually pay attention to the people, yeah. not just in your immediate circle, which was the, that's where Amir got stuck, was that he'd made the, carved out this little circle where he was comfortable and that's let people right. in. That's right. But actually beyond that, if you that's see the right. world as hostile and you see people as cannon fodder, yeah. Um, you know, then you relate to them, obviously, based on that uh, yeah. core pathogenic belief, yeah. as we talk about. Yeah, right. um, you used a tool with him. You've, you used visualisation as a tool, mm. which I think is really mm. interesting in, in this work. Can you talk a bit about that? Yeah, and it was it's always a bit risky using visualisation because people think it's sort of a bit new age and mm. cookie, and, uh, but um, it, it can be very powerful. And there's a lot of uh, neuroscience that shows that the brain doesn't differentiate Absolutely. between a real experience and an imagined one, which Absolutely. is why sports people use that, visualisation right. so much. And, and if I ever do suggest a visualisation, and I always offer it, and if somebody says, I don't want to do that, I, I'll say, I, I, I will say why, and we'll have a discussion around it, but if they don't want to do it, fine, right? it's up to them. But the argument I will always use is, you know, if it's good enough for the captain of the England uh, football team, maybe it's worth a shot, right? Um, little pun there. Um, but yeah, so, and with Amir, we just we just got him to kind of go into a, a little uh, trance state, which is very easy to do, right? You have to close, again, we're not going to do it, but you kind of close your eyes, breathe in a certain way, and you just take into a slightly different place. And then you can start to imagine, you know, things. And in his case, if I'm remembering rightly, uh, when we asked him to think about his dad, um, there was sort of uh, hostility and uh, ang ang anger and a bit of sadness, so that was harder for him to get to. Um, but but there was also fear, right? And it was very interesting because, of course, the last thing you would have thought about Amir was it was frightened of anybody, right? Um, and it opened up a discussion about what had happened to him early on in life and how that might be connected to what he was like today. But I'm not sure we would have got to without the visualisation. Mm. Yeah. Funnily enough, I just used a visualisation this morning with a client wow. and it was very powerful. Right. So, yeah, I corroborate that. I think right. uh, they can feel a bit uncomfortable yeah. um, because yeah. they're a bit of an unknown quantity. But yeah. it's like using any new new tool. I think offer the choice and uh, my experience is that they can really, as you say, take you to a, d a deeper level. Yeah. yeah. Can we talk about empathy, which is on the one of the yeah. rungs yeah. on the ladder of professional intimacy? We, 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 exactly right. So professional intimacy you've asked mm. about, and I've kind of avoided mm. the question. <laughs> I, don't know why, I don't know why that tells us, right? Um, uh, so we have a model, and we've intentionally called it 
professional intimacy because people are all intimacy, mm. you know, and especially in the Me Too world, right? Obviously, isn't anything to do with physical intimacy. It's mm. about relational and emotional mm. intimacy. Um, and what's really interesting and uh, is that, and I, again, I won't go through the model because that's a reason for people to buy the book, right? But it's also on the CDP website, I think, so people can see it. Um, it's got seven levels, right? And when you're working with, for example, a team, or if you're doing stakeholder mapping, you're saying, well, when you're rating your relationship, not to 10, right? It's one of those things where you think, well, okay, I, I kind of know how to do that. And they think, well, hang on a minute. What, what am I rating? What, what is the criteria of a good professional relationship, right? Um, and so we try to break that down. And, and it's interesting because even people who think they're quite good at it and a team that thinks it's quite close will be at level like two, possibly three. So people are quite shocked to see that there is this deeper level. It goes back to something, of course, we were talking about on another episode about psychological safety, mm -hmm. right? Um, which is very, very linked to this. Um, but yeah, that's right. The one of the levels includes empathy, right? You have to show empathy towards people. Um, what is it really like to be them um, before you operate out of that clearly very powerful sense of what it's like to be you? You know what that is. It may be confusing and contradictory sometimes, but you kind of know what it is, right? You have access to it. To have empathy, you have to actually kind of quieten that and think, well, hang on a minute, what's it like maybe for this other person? Um, so, yeah, it's a very important thing. And, of course, Amir showed no empathy to anybody, mm. right? Mm. Um, another rung on my ladder is openness. Yeah, yeah. Um, as opposed to Amir's kind of default position, which is closed and guarded. Yeah. It seems obvious to me, but why why is that important in terms of creating space to relate to relate and strong professional yeah, because relationships? The, the mistake that people make when it comes to their professional relationships is that they, they they're under the delusion that the person is relating to them as the boss mm. or the person on the project or the direct report, right? Well, that is, I'm afraid, not how human beings work. You're always relating to the person, right? So somehow you have to manage this balance between, between you know, respecting boundaries and, and roles, but also allowing the real you to be present in some way, right? Um, and, and to be open about not just what you think, but also what you, what you feel. Right. Um, and it's very hard to do that for some people. Right. It's very, actually, it's quite hard for anybody to do it. Right. But but you do need to work out your own way of doing it. Right. And some people will be a bit shy and more introvert than others. Right. And a bit more emotionally withdrawn. But my challenge to people like that is could you go a little bit further? Right. Come into the office suddenly one day and say, oh, my God, I had the worst weekend ever. My husband's a bastard. Right. No. Right. But what could you do to show who you are? And, of course, the classic work around this is Brené Brown and vulnerability, and that's what it is. It's making yourself vulnerable, um, which I'm afraid not only is part and parcel of who you are, and, and therefore you've got to kind of share to an extent as appropriate, but also it's the kind of uh, supercharged nitro of, of relationship building. Right? If I make myself vulnerable to you, you may make yourself vulnerable to me, right? And we deepen the relationship and we go up that ladder of professional intimacy, mm -hmm. right? You know, if, yeah. And connected to this whole conversation about vulnerability and trust and creating that safety, 
is authenticity. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's kind of become Absolutely. a buzzword, hasn't yeah, it, in, it has, in recent yeah. years? But yeah. I think it has for a reason. That's right. Um, it, I think we're really shifting away from this sense that business, that this world of leadership is a, a kind of giant game of chess mm -hmm. where you have to constantly mm -hmm. have this this mask on and yeah. don't yeah. show anyone who you really are and yeah. keep your 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 home self your, uh, separate from your your work self. Yeah. Everything's got, got a lot more blurry. Technology's yeah. made things a lot more blurry. Yeah. Um, but actually what's come with that is this understanding that it's really valuable to show people who you really are. That's right. And you're well, going you to get further by being authentic, by being well, that, real and genuine. It doesn't mean if you're having a bad day, you come in and tell everyone about it, like yeah, you were saying. Yeah. But it, it might mean that you do something yeah. to express some of that, yeah. just to let people know that you're human. Yeah, and you make a really interesting part about technology, right? Because we're colleagues, we work together. Mm. I kind of think we quite like each other and we certainly respect each other, right? Mm. But I remember when we, for some reason, Facebook came up and, and, and we had a little awkward moment of thinking, I was thinking, well, maybe Ella doesn't want me to join her Facebook. You know, that, that's got her kind of re real friends on it, right? And so we had to kind of navigate that mm. a bit. Um, and in the end, she said, absolutely not. <laughs> it's not true. <laughs> it's not true. You allowed me in. You allowed me in, right? I actually have a very small circle of people on Facebook. Well, so no, there I'm, we are. I'm very grateful. Mm. Um, but you're right. I, I think... The question of masks is a really important one, right? And and the the question for me when when I'm talking to people about this is not do you sometimes have to put a, a mask on at work because of course you do. You, you actually, by the way, have to put on a mask with your friends and your partners and and, and your children, right? Mm. So so that idea of a mask is not like a terrible thing. Uh, we have various personalities, right, and things we want to share. But the question for me is that you know have you got used to wearing that mask? all the time and why mm. right and and then if if the answer is well i at my work i have to with everybody all the time i'm saying okay is that how you want to live is that is that how you want to be at work mm. right so it's not you know oh you know you should you shouldn't you should bear your soul to everybody at work it, it's more questioning how vulnerable can i be how open can i be how authentic can i be and and maybe pushing that dial a little bit forward and as google found in their study of psychological safety and what created high performing teams when leaders and managers did show a bit more and they turned the dial up just a bit the level of psychological safety and therefore productivity in their teams shot through the roof and i that's think right. we have to remember that there's a very real tangible business benefit to doing this that's right um i just want to say i think of it personally less as putting a mask on every day and a bit more as which parts of myself Am I taking mm. with me? And it's, I think of it as yeah. kind of yeah. I'm still me, yeah. but contextually yeah. I show up in a slightly different way yeah. depending on the context and the relationship. That's a good way of putting um, it. So it's just metaphors, isn't it? Yeah, and it finding is. the metaphor. Yeah. Hats but, off to Google, by the way, because again, mm. if you start saying some of this stuff in a in a big corporate, right? Uh, you can be met with a, a, some uh, resistance and skepticism, mm. right? And you know it can be seen as kind of you know psych psychologically sort of touchy-feely um, bullshit, right? Um, but, but but you know, once you say, well, this has been investigated by Google, who spent several years and millions of dollars coming to an absolute cast-iron conclusion that's been backed up by, a, you know, one of the top, Amy Edmondson, one of the top kind of professors of management in, in at Harvard, uh, people are willing to listen more. 
right? You shouldn't necessarily have to do that, right? But but the, the, you're right. This is about performing better ultimately, right? It's not it's not about anything else. I completely agree. And I'm wondering if there's anything that you would like to say to kind of sum up the whole chapter because it is quite a meaty chapter and quite a yeah. discussion. Yeah, so there's a great quote, actually, which is from Dale Carnegie, who who wrote the famous book about how to win friends and influence people, um, who said, you can make more friends in two months by becoming interested in other people than you can in two years by trying to get other people interested in you, right? So again, part of this thing we're talking about, about relating and connecting, is not you going on about you. It's you showing interest in someone else. And, and, And it's... When you when you do that, it 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 has, in many instances, with many people, a, a, a magical effect, you know. So yeah, lot, lots in the chapter, but summed up by that, right? Show some interest. Thanks, Derek. Okay, cool. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, we're really enjoying these episodes. Hope you are too, and look forward to you joining us for a future episode. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Wow! Nice! Yeah! What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.